I'm Eric Peterson, and you're listening to Pod Clubhouse. Pod Clubhouse. Well, I will let you do the negotiating from now on for us. Allison, no. I am not here for us. Okay? I am helping you with this one last thing. Just say it. Fake my own death. Because when you go, you're taking all this shit with you. And everything you dragged me into. I know. Tammy is still asking questions about Nick. We broke my brother. Ever since I actually made the decision to start talking to you, I don't think that I've had one day that's felt normal or easy. You're pretty much a pain in my ass, and most days you suck. I know that, too. Welcome to Kevin Can Podcast Himself, your dedicated after-show podcast for the AMC series, Kevin Can Fuck Himself. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Tonight we're discussing episode two of season two, The Way We Were. It was written by series showrunner Craig DiGregorio, and once again it was directed by Anna DeCosa, who directed last week's episode, and I think six of the eight episodes from season one. Anna really has her hand in like this entire series. The unsung player in, in the creative staff that I, you never really hear hear about her i mean you hear about craig a bit you hear obviously a lot about valerie never hear about anna but might have to get her on here i'd love to hear her take on it i gotta pick her brain yeah there's so much with the with the different styles would really like to know how she kind of like hashed that all out in her mind Anna Dacosa, if you're listening, we want you on the show. Yeah, I want to know how, how you thought about this one. Just a community note, if you want to continue the conversation with us and other fans, come on over to Facebook and Kevin Can F Himself fans. Chat it up with us. Please answer those couple of questions. We just want to make sure you're not a weirdo. You're not trying to come on here and scream at everybody. So answer those couple of questions and we'll let you in and we would love to have a conversation with you. Yeah, this is a fun one. One of the rules is is bullying speech and, and harassment allowed in the group. And if you have read the rules, you'll see it is not. The amount of people who write yes. I know. It's shocking. It's, it's shocking. shocking to me that they even answer the question, but then they write yes. Yes, what? they answer the question wrong. It, it blows my <laughs> lid. And I will decline you. How many groups encourage bullying speech? Like, what right, especially about? for this show, and that's why we do it. I mean, you guys, you and Paul, and 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 a lot of people connected to Apocalypse House run a lot of Facebook groups. This one uh, is one of the more sensitive topic shows, I think that that we cover. Surely, because a lot of people bring in their personal experience. Yes, and it's an active group, but it's I think one of the reasons that the group has been able to be active and people are able to talk about their theories and their feelings on the show is because it is a private group. You can't share the posts every post has to be approved by us before it's allowed to go up we go through the comments we screen stuff out so it's a good little group it's a it's a it's a i don't want to say a safe space nothing on nothing on the internet <laughs> is a safe space we really do try we try to keep it to the show for sure but there's also you know if you need to comment about something there's a anonymous posting option that you can tell something you know personal about yourself and not reveal who you are just a reminder that we assume you have watched this episode and this is not going to be a step-by-step recap of the episode so if you haven't and you don't want to be spoiled about what we're going to say, stop, pause, 
Go watch it. Come back. We're here. We're, you know, we're, we'll be waiting for you. All right. Let's get right into our table setting for the evening. Let's do the, the, the title card. This was a fun one. It was the boiling teapot sound with steam blowing over the UC and the word fuck. Uh, it was oddly against a white backsplash that reminded me of a bathroom, not of a kitchen backsplash. Um, but, but there you go. I, I thought, I thought the boiling teapot, whistling teapot was an interesting metaphor because I think in this episode, I think Neil, who eventually experiences the boiling teapot in this episode, I think it's a metaphor for him and, and what's going on inside his brain. Am I, am I being too artsy fartsy with that interpretation? You think? No, I think it's absolutely like coming to a head. That's how it feels like. It's like, like this could be it. The big, the like tooting of the, of the teapot. I really, I literally wrote my notes. Neil is the teapot ready to boil over. That's right. So. He's all steamed up. Uh, let's talk about Neil while we're here. Were you surprised the episode starts with this plan to blackmail him, to keep him quiet? I mean, it makes sense the way they lay it out. He's got the connection to Nick through the youth hockey team. He has a criminal record. And he did have that exclamation in front of Tammy at the end of season one, where he comes in and says, Kevin has betrayed me. So motive, record, connection to the guy breaking into the house. It makes sense. But also, I didn't think that was where they were to go with their plan. See, I thought they were going to rely on kind of this idea of like, you hit your head, you don't know what you're talking about. That isn't what anyone said. And if they just stuck tight to that, of like, that's not what anyone said. You're confused. You're delusional. You know, you you had a head injury. If you just stuck to that and, and both of you did, I think that it would work to make the other person eventually be like, maybe I didn't hear them right. Like, it is crazy. But they, they do have excellent excellent reasons for why Neil would be the much more obvious person to have committed some sort of, you know, attack on Kevin. Yeah, the interesting thing about that, though, is had they gone that route, I don't think you get Neil pulled into the single cam world, right? Or or not still being pulled into the single cam world, if that was how they had gone, Mm -hmm. because it would have been appealing to the he is gullible and an idiot and manipulated, easily manipulated, which maybe he is still easily manipulated by by Kevin, but it seems increasingly less easily manipulated. And also it's it's allowing you to see kind of what's what the character actually is. Um, you know, it was very telling in the first episode where uh, Patty has that that little speech about he just wants you to make you he just wants to make you think he's an idiot, you know, so that you'll, you know, pay his rent for 30 years and bail him out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this is the real Neil. He's not an idiot. He, he like Allison, knows their strengths and their weaknesses and can use them to move forward their own agenda. One of the things that I think a lot about Neil, and you touched upon this when we actually talked to Alex Bonifer, is that he is physically a very large guy and he can be very intimidating if he's in serious mode. Mm -hmm. And so I can see where it would be advantageous to him to also play this kind of little bit more goofy, little bit more silly um, kind of character because it makes him much more unassuming. You're not you're not going to be nervous about him being around if he seems like he's not that smart, but he's and he's just a kind of a goofy guy. Versus if he was, you know, this more serious, you know, you know, you think he could be like diabolical or super clever that then paired with his size, you think, oh, man, this guy is somebody we all need to be scared of. True or false. Neil O'Connor is even more scary and terrifying with a shaved head and a stapled head wound. Yeah, very much so. Very true. Very, <laughs> very true. Much so. That was a really gross little like, you know, effect there on it on the on his head, that little. Ugh. 
that little bald spot. Oh, yeah. And if you zoom in really on it, like, it, it definitely looked like something out of, like, Frankenstein's monster kind of thing with, like, the bolts and the scars and the stitches in his neck. You know, it, that's yeah. what his head looked like. It yeah. was truly terrifying. Well, and in, in a way, then, you could say maybe they've made a monster. Oh. <clears throat> it's alive. Exactly. It's alive. And he's, like, stumbling towards your home. <laughs> you know what Allison would say to that? God damn it. She would not be happy with this idea that they've made a monster. That we have Annie Murphy here in studio just to say "God damn it" periodically. So. <laughs> we see Neil spacing out and remembering the attack a couple of different times in this episode. Once he is getting a beer inside Kevin and Allison's kitchen, and the the kind of high pitched whiny tone sound strikes up as he goes to sit at the table, and he kind of grabs at his head like it, like his head physically hurts him, and he remembers the attack. He remembers it when he's standing over the teapot and it begins to boil which then flips into kevin coming in the kitchen and it switches to the to the multicam is he feeling remorse do you think is he feeling pity for himself what's the emotion that's going on here that he's focusing on being struck and then the aftermath it's partially just trauma and just reliving the you know the pain of it for him he's in this kind of no man's land of like he wants to tell but he also is is just sort of like grappling with what happened like trying to sort it out so i don't think it was remorse and i don't think it's it's pity i think it's more like i don't know what to do like confused and hurt physically hurt and also just having those bad memories you know just reliving it there's times like i mean i've had where like I've been in a hospital that bad things have happened and then I'm there literally a decade later and I go to push the elevator button and I get that like buzz kind of feeling of like like I was here before and this was a terrible situation and you get that I, I didn't have a full flashback but you get that like visceral like I don't want to be here this is a this was where a bad thing happened location and trauma linked I mean not not to not to jump ahead to next week's episode but this idea of a place can remind you of a trauma, good or bad, or whether you've caused the trauma or just experienced it or were the victim of the trauma. It's another little parallel between Allison and Neil. I think the show is being very smart in these first couple of episodes coming in into season two of showing us that Allison and Neil maybe have more in common than anyone ever realized and certainly more than the two of them would ever admit, uh, given how they feel about each other right now. I need you to get focused. I know, I know, I'm trying. And you've been such a wonderful, if demanding boss. But I need to get my head on straight. I gotta tell you something. Didn't you just tell me something like last week? I mean, what else could there be? She's trying to kill you. The reporter? I mean, that is an awfully short skirt she's wearing. No, 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 no. not the reporter, Allison. Allison tried to kill you. Oh, that? Oh, yeah, I know about that. What? Yeah. I mean, Neil, what is marriage if not a death sentence, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Can you know, that's to... actually a pretty good line. I'm going to say that to the lady reporter to explain why the Worcester Wild dude has been a bachelor for life. Let's go! No, Kev, wait. She, hey. she hired... You know, we talked a little bit about already the teapot boiling over metaphor. It's the second time he's having this flashback. It comes to the teapot is boiling. Kevin comes in and Neil 
boils over. He can't keep it in anymore. And he turns to him. Kevin just laughs it off. He's not, yeah. he doesn't listen to Neil and he just laughs it off. And he goes to the marriage is a death sentence joke. I was really surprised. I thought there was going to be a little bit more of a moment of Kevin being like, what are you talking about? And them having to go back and forth a little bit more. And maybe Kevin does brush it off, but I didn't expect it to be instant brush off. I didn't expect him to completely ignore what Neil said. I know that it's very shocking and kind of unrealistic, especially from Kevin's point of view, that Allison would or try or anything like that, try to kill him. So I guess maybe it's something that sounds so absurd, you just immediately dismiss it. I um, I thought he really would give Neil a little bit more time on that, but nothing. So that's why you tried to kill him? Because he doesn't care when you whine? doesn't care when I whine, but he laughs when you bleed. Oh, come on. Oh. <sighs> Maybe someday you'll see that. Neil, Patty, and Allison all heard truth from the person they didn't want to hear truth bombs from, and that we had this thought that it was going to affect them, and it was maybe advice they needed to hear, even if they didn't want to hear it, or certainly didn't want to hear it from who was giving it to them. The activity of Kevin literally laughing at Neil, given Neil's state, given the, the teapot boiling over yeah. feeling... And this is the reaction it's met with. This is the most serious thing that Neil could think of. This man that I love and devote my life to, his wife tried to murder him, and he's laughing at me when I tell him this. That's devastating, and I have to wonder what kind of effect going forward this specific moment may have for Neil, especially with relationship to Kevin. And I think to even drill down even further on that, the, he's laughing at the idea that that Neil got hurt. He's making fun of his hair. He's making fun of the fact that he fell down. He was already saying, I, like, I thought you would have done this and, like, made fun of him some other, like, you know, like, you're such a klutz, you're, so, you're such a jerk kind of way. So he's actively, like, laughing at him, making fun of him, and ignoring what he said. Like, when you combine all of those things, that's exactly what Allison said to him. You know, he's going to be laughing at your pain essentially and he was and he was and, and he gives a theory about what he thinks happened to him you know like just he just kicks him and abuses him and neil's bear hugging him and, and devoting his life to him you know as a newly minted and very very busy local celebrity i'm i'm quite overwhelmed oh, I, I get it man I you know i, I have like this big I... interview coming up i've got ribbon cutting ceremonies and of course i still have my regular nine to three job <laughs> and i'm big enough to admit when i need help help sounds great yeah thank which you which is exactly I... what i wanted to hear because i have the opportunity of a lifetime for you i choose you to be my altar boy my go-to guy <laughs> my girl friday except i'm a boy except you're a boy <laughs> you are gonna be my new official assistant oh uh, distraction does sound pretty good great but the job is devotion neil you'll put your own problems aside and think of only me 24 7 that sounds amazing <laughs> 
so he hires Neil as an assistant, and this is the job. The job is devotion. It's setting aside your own problems and worries and thinking about me 24-7. And that's all Neil wants to do. He's like, man, I could sure deal with that right now. That sounds wonderful. Neil doesn't see it yet, but you have to think this is all. If he's spending all this time thinking and thinking and alone with his brain now in the single cam world, these actions by Kevin have to start weeding their way in. I feel like it did. I really feel like he was pretty stunned at Kevin's response and the combination of Allison's words previously. And then his own, I mean, he had to get up a lot of guts to tell Kevin what happened. Like, I mean, I'm sure he had been grappling this entire time about, do I tell him? Do I not? What do I do? And he was willing to have the whole situation, what Patty and Allison laid out. Like, you're the one with the record. If you say anything, we're just going to turn this around on you. Like, he was willing to throw all caution to the the wind and put himself out there to tell Kevin and protect him. Kevin did not care. He did not listen. No. You know, if you open up the spout when the when the teapot is still on the on the stovetop, it just starts spitting hot water everywhere. It can't control itself. And it was the teapot also that Allison hits him with uh, in, you know, at the beginning of episode one, too. That teapot has a lot of metaphor legs. <laughs> right? It's carrying a lot of weight in this story. Let's stay in the sitcom plot just to, to knock it out. And it was interesting. You know, the sitcom section or the, the multicam section of the show feels like it's becoming increasingly more important. The lines are getting so blurred between the switches, like the teapot, right? That wasn't all going from room to room. You know, Neil was there in the kitchen by himself, having remembering the attack. And then it's in the multicam because Kevin enters the room. There was great back and forth with the swinging door in episode one last week that I don't even think we talked about. That was fantastic where in the kitchen, it was single cam. Uh, in the living room, it was Pete and Kevin in the multicam. And it, as the door swung back and forth, it was switching back and forth. Like these worlds are colliding. So I think the sitcom is becoming more important. And I think in this episode, it is because we're seeing more of the tonal shift. Uh, you made a great point at the end of last week's episode about how Allison telling Kevin in reaction to him, I want you to come cheer me on for my photo shoot. She says, I'd rather fake my own death. And she gets the joke to the laugh track. That never happens in this show. And in this episode, when he criticizes her for wearing the pearls, she says, I do think I'm better than you. Later on, Allison and Neil in the multicam world both come to Patty's defense in the same way at the same time and say, leave I her alone. I was surprised at that one. That really like took me aback. It, it took me aback too. But then they also exchange looks. They look at each other in kind of a sitcom way, but also in a very pointed way, more so than this multicam ever does. Like, what was that? That's again, mm -hmm. these two are on the same parallel path. But these tonal shifts, they started in last week at the end of last week's episode, but more and more, Allison is getting the joke back. She's getting her line, right? If you listen to Valerie Armstrong's interviews that she did for the show, especially in season one, she talks about how the impetus fuzz when you watch Kevin Can Wait or The King of Queens or any of a lot of the classic schlubby husband, hot wife sitcoms, the wife never gets the joke. Right. She never gets the line. And it, her inspiration for the show was listening to a podcast where two comedian actresses were talking about how they would go in the pilot season. This is a new comedy. The wife is going to be the funny one. And then they get in the room and the wife was never the funny one. She was always the straight man. She was always the butt of the joke. Here we're getting Allison is getting to be the funny one or quote unquote funny one for the laugh track. That's huge. That That's monumental. 
And I felt like all of the jokes are are so much more harsh between both of them. Like, you know, we're even when you have Neil saying, you know, Alice tried to kill you and you're getting like this laugh and stuff like all of the content, all of the lines are actually way more weighty and serious. Like it's not just a bunch of like slapstick jokes. It's like I want to fake my own death. Like like, these are (laughs) these are like serious words that are being put into this multicam, you know, universe. Yeah, so I'm really excited to see how the show continues to evolve in this way. This is something that listeners, if you're listening, definitely pay attention to because because they set the tone at the end of episode one, and we saw it several times in this episode. Pay attention to it because we'll definitely continue to call it out, but I think it's an important way of viewing how this show is evolving and how these worlds are colliding. The the wall between the multicam and the single cam feel like they're collapsing a bit. The whole sitcom setup was Wild Dude Kevin is going to be interviewed by the local paper about his candidacy and the Wild Dude attitude. There's really nothing surprising in the actual interview storyline. It goes exactly how you think a, a guy like Kevin would be and Neil is his devoted assistant. I just want to give Eric Peterson and Alex Bonifer such great credit the end of the interview scene really entertained me from the hot wings and the face and the eyes and then falling on the floor and the and neil coming in with the tree the tray service and falling over him the two of them on their knees at the end of it with with neil holding out the little saucer cup so pathetically it was great it was really good classic (laughs) physical comedy it was so cringy though (laughs) like i mean i i appreciate everything about eric peterson and and what he can do but man his face oof i I, it it was cringy everything he was doing i was like oh my god like it's it's like silly putty like the way that he can make it be so crazy looking and just i don't know i it was funny don't get me wrong but it was just like when he said my eyes are sweaty I, I, I definitely chortled a bit. Like, my eyes are sweaty. They're sweaty. It was very, very funny to me. I, I mean, you knew he was going to put his hands in his eyes. His of course. Fingers, like, right up to his because eyes. we've like, seen God. this episode. I feel like we've we've all seen this episode of, of yes. 90s sitcom, 80s sitcom a thousand times. The, you know, it, it's so familiar. Of course he's going to touch his eyes. The second he puts both of those fingers into the wing sauce, it was like, it's only a matter of time. It's a clock. There's a clock ticking it out until he touches them with his eyes. <laughs> Oh, my God. Let's talk about Kelly, the reporter, and the fact that she knows Allison. You want to come in? Answer some questions with him? No. No, he's all yours. No one wants to read about me. You were in the paper, like, every other week in high school. That was a long time ago. Come on, I could put a little thing in there about that relay junior year at Nationals. We could relive our glory days a little bit. I don't know if they're glory days if you come in second. Well, we would have probably come in first that next year if you hadn't bailed. (laughs) I just mean, I didn't get it. You probably could have gone to college or something. Maybe not BC, but like a state school. I never really thought about it. What do you mean? Everybody wanted to get out of here. You at least had a shot. No. No, I really didn't. 
I am a sucker for when we get backstory on any of these characters. I feel like we've gotten some glimpses into Patty and Neil. We really haven't gotten a ton of backstory or a back a look into Allison's past. The reporter being here really kind of shined light on it. Try to remind me, do we have any other information about why she didn't swim senior year? I was trying to remember, like, where was that in the timeline of any other information that we've gotten? We knew she was a swimmer and we know that she meets Kevin at some point. Point. I don't I didn't get the idea that we knew why or what happened senior year necessarily of like why she didn't swim. I think all we know is that she meets Kevin and she doesn't go to college. I don't think we really ever had a firm timeline on when that happened. That's part of Allison that like we don't delve into. She can be Kevin esque where she can be very self-centered and all we know is that allison was this great swimmer so now to get this part where it's like yeah and you bailed on us and the team didn't get to continue because you you know bailed out on us we didn't get to to like you know realize our full potential that's the type of stuff that is never said about allison you know that she also has things that she's done to people that are not very nice or or that that really wrecked stuff in their lives important important to kind of balance that out a little bit story-wise it is. And it also, I mean, just the idea of Kelly saying to her, everyone wanted to get out of town and you actually had a shot to do it, it is news. I was more surprised in that situation that she actually admitted that she was Kelly's or that she was Kevin's wife, that that was his, her husband in there. Like, I didn't think she would say that to Kelly. I thought she was going to say something else like, oh, I was just waiting for someone or something. I don't know what. But the way that she was like, oh, that's my husband. I don't know. I didn't think she would, like, actually claim him like that. I think she's just resigned to it. I mean, remember, being Kevin's wife got her out of a DUI and, and an accident ticket last week. Plus, Kevin's idea that he's a bachelor kind of thing. And all of that seemed silly. And I think it was more about her not wanting to go with Ke go along with Kevin's cockamamie story okay. than, than anything else. But she's standing in, like, the yard. You know, she's standing. What else right. is she doing there, right? It's almost worse to be his girlfriend dating him as he is now than being his wife but i guess that he maybe she was supposed to be his cousin but yeah no I, I think it just seemed a silly lie for her to to perpetrate you know kelly says to her you know everyone wanted to get out of town and you actually had a legitimate shot to do so to go to college and allison's response is no i didn't that's the only reason that i want to temper it that it was a case of allison abandoning the team versus some intervening force that's going to prevent her or prevent her from having remained on the team fair it's fair but i don't know if we're gonna get more behind this because we've always just got little you know drips and drabs about you know what exactly was going on and it's just usually in terms of things like like i remember so clearly when she's like i always let myself like have like a you know like a cheeseburger or whatever after i swam and did my practice and stuff so just i don't know it was it was good insight into her it is good insight to her and it's also it's interesting too because remember we spent time in season one trying to parse out the ages here right so she they got married around 25 and she was probably she she probably met him around 21 if she's 36 that makes her 21 when she meets kevin so that works out i think my big thing about about allison is because i've played on so many sports teams for so long and i know you have too and there's something about bailing senior year especially if you're in some sort of like relay or something like that where you've been like working for years and years on something together the idea that you would have just 
taken off that last year when you would have been like your most powerful, it really just makes me like second guess Allison a little bit more and be like, what is exactly going on with you? And, you know, all, all of your dreams about everything you always you always definitely do blame Kevin. But what role do you play here? And like, what else are you doing that you would have left your team? The whole storyline with Diane in this episode makes you wonder about Allison. I love that Billy saw it right away. <laughs> Uh, well, th- this this was my niece's idea. We wanted to see what kind of services you offer to someone like Diane. Someone who doesn't realistically have the option of divorce. I, I don't? It's expensive. It would take years. It would take Chuck actually letting you leave. Oh. So, um, do you just look into people, or can you kind of water off the menu? So you're looking for a way out. Well, I... Yes. Yes. Um, I have heard of women, you know, getting out. They just disappear. People assume that they that they died. So how realistic is that? You ever see Snapped? No. Do I look like someone would watch that? I'm just saying, doing it is realistic. Diane getting away with it's another thing. I'm sorry. I- I'm not even sure I want to leave Chuck. And now I'm on Snap. No, 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 no. Allison's using Diane to get access to this PI. Diane even says, you know, it was my niece's idea, dot, dot, dot. Allison is Kevin-esque. Here again, we have her using, you know, Diane again. There's, I think, two or three different times in this episode alone where Allison goes to make amends with a person or say something nice to a person and then immediately follows it up with, I need a favor of some sort. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, she does it to Sam in, in Bev's diner. Like, you know, I really want to heal our relationship. I need to ask you a favor. Like, um, there's no space there. She's got no chill when it comes to using people. I was thrilled to have Billy, though, like, see this for what it was. Like, anytime you have in this kind of scenario where everyone's going along in this sort of, like, you just got used to it as an audience member that, like, nobody seems to see what's really going on here. No one seems to see Allison for what she is or Kevin for what he is. To have Billy be like, so, when you have your $350, we'll talk about your problems. I was like... Burn! That was like right to the point and right away. Like we didn't have to go 20 meetings before he says, hey, jig is up. I know what you're doing. Right away, Billy's like, Mm-mm, nope, not doing this. Right, this because, is not a two for one special. But it makes so much sense that it's it's Billy, the questionably moral, you know, P.I. kind of guy. I mean, just the, the, the he is giving her eye daggers basically the entire scene. Even before Diane takes uh, steps out to take the call from Chuck, he's staring at Allison like, what is your scam we're not here for Diane he, he knows her yeah I loved it too and I liked it that it seemed like he was onto her immediately before any words were even like spoken uh, getting into what Allison is seeking here she mentions to Billy but really to Diane because it's this is the reaction I found interesting the idea that divorce wouldn't be very easy or even possible for Diane and so that she's quote-unquote looking for a way out Diane doesn't seem like she had ever considered the fact that she might not be able to get a divorce. Listening to Allison lay out the reasons why a divorce may not be so simple, people ask, why doesn't Allison just divorce Kevin? Why doesn't she just leave? This episode, I think, goes a long way of explaining why you can't just get a divorce, why you can't maybe just leave, maybe why you have to take the extreme step of faking your death. If you're unsure about this, go back and listen to our Valerie interview, because Valerie does make a point of saying that Diane is supposed 
supposed to be a future version of Allison. And so, you know, you could kind of say, oh, well, maybe maybe Allison's just projecting or whatever. I mean, the creator writer saying, nope, Diane is is the future version of Allison. So if she's saying like, you know, this isn't going to be easy for you, then you should take that as like fact, you know, that this is the situation and that Diane would not just be able to leave either. And obviously Chuck, to me, Chuck is painted to be a creepier dude than Kevin, but that's important because again, Diane and Chuck are supposed to be Kevin and Allison later, future versions. Billy the PI, Allison and Patty meet up with Billy the PI and he's standing by his wagoneer. He says Chuck took a bat to the truck just for suspecting that he had helped Diane skip town, which is news because Allison didn't know Diane had skipped town. Apparently she left a note and said she was going to South Carolina. Just on that news alone, Chuck hunted the PI down, bashed in his window. Chuck is single cam Kevin. So why can't she just disappear? Why can't she just divorce him? Because there is a world in which Kevin, lovably goofy, selfish, nasty Kevin, exists in the single cam world, and he takes bats to people's fucking truck window and bashes them in. God knows what Chuck will do to Diane when he eventually gets a hold of her. That's why Allison can't just divorce Kevin. There's no South Carolina far enough from Massachusetts that a single cam Kevin isn't going to go track her down and do something maybe potentially horrible to her. Diane is Allison. She is a cautionary tale for what Allison's life will be like if Allison makes the wrong choices here in this moment, trying to escape her marriage from Kevin. I thought this was the single most important uh, scene of the episode. If you're just a regular audience member who who hasn't listened to interviews, though, I don't know that you 100% make the connection that Diane and Chuck are Allison and Kevin. I don't I don't know if just the average person does. I think it's very helpful, though, to go listen to that interview with Valerie because she spells it out for you. And that is like the extra little nugget that things like podcasts can offer you. Uh, let, let's stay with uh, Diane and Allison. Uh, well, Allison asks again, she, you know, she's doing all this. I'm taking you to the P.I. And then, then she asks for her favor. Can I have the, the job back at the packy? Because she says she's saving for a vacation. That was such a strange like excuse. I was like, a vacation? Like, I don't know. A permanent vacation. Oh, my God. To, to yeah. quote Aerosmith's album. Yeah, and uh, Diane doesn't call her on that. But, you know, it's hard to peg how much Diane is paying attention to versus not paying attention to. I think this goes back to, like, that everyone is purely caring all about themselves. Like, the amount of time you think someone is actually listening or looking at you or paying attention to you versus how much they're in their own head thinking about themselves and their own situation. I think the Diane Allison stuff is like perfection in this. Like no one's really listening to anybody. They're just talking at each other, you know, and and Diane almost always has that faraway look on her eyes like she's thinking about 20 other things. But the interesting takeaway from this whole scene, though, is that uh, Diane lets Allison know that Kevin has a secret storage unit, that Kevin has been keeping his quote-unquote valuables out of the house since the break-in and keeping them in Chuck's storage unit. My jaw hit the floor when I heard that Kevin had a storage unit and Allison had no idea. I was like, oh my God. Like, her eyes were like, what? Now, when the, when you they added on the extra line of took out the valuables because of the break-in, that actually smoothed it a little bit because I thought, how long has he had this storage unit? What the hell else is in there? So it actually made it a little bit more logical. But I was just like, oh, my God, like, I can't even believe how many secrets this guy has. Secrets also, but also it's not his storage unit. It's Chuck's. Chuck is not Kevin's family. Chuck is 
Allison's family. So it's even more kind of fucked up that he didn't tell her. Yes, it smooths it over a little bit that he removed the valuables after the break-in, but there's probably stuff in there that probably predates the break-in. I have to guess, yes. And the fact is, Chuck is not Kevin's family, so he went around Allison to to talk to chuck and or diane about moving stuff out of the house they probably assumed allison knew and that's to say nothing of the fact that she may have had valuable things that like if we're gonna do this if we're gonna think like maybe our house is some sort of target maybe we should put all of our valuables in a storage unit and you know keep it locked up until we figure out everything allison would probably have things there's probably other things that aren't just kevin's things you know that have value well there's the pearl necklace there there, uh, an heirloom from her grandmother passed down to her was in that storage unit she didn't know that those the pearl necklace was in the storage unit she happened upon it when she was going through it i thought it was interesting that the wade boggs card is in here because i hadn't noticed and i should have it had not been hanging on the wall uh because remember in season one the wade boggs card used to hang right by the front door and it's gone it's missing so it was a nice little detail because they had mentioned the wade boggs card or a couple of times in season one that it was here the more shocking part of course is that the wade Bugs card is stolen. This made my jaw hit the floor. Yes. Yes. I was like, Kevin, like, what in the hell? Like, I... I was totally taken aback. But also, again, another layer to understand how, like, dangerous and just horrible he is. Like, this is where we're ratcheting everything up. Every comment, everything that happens is not just a prank. It's not just a side snotty comment. Now we're starting to say worse things and we're starting to reveal way worse things. I I want everyone to do a thought experiment. And, and just to just to help as you're viewing this, everything Kevin does, everything Kevin says, imagine he's saying it in the single cam world because we have a basis that, for this now. We see, we have seen Neil now say things in the single cam world, and you can imagine what they would sound like if he was in nor still in the multicam world. I want you guys to do the reverse thought experiment on that. Everything Kevin says, the idea of stealing the Wade Boggs card telling neil that he thought how he thought he fell down passed out and and split his head open imagine all of that happening in the single cam world and i think you'll find it probably is very menacing at the minimum it is probably extremely nasty and not the way you would ever want any of like your children to be spoken to if you were say allison's parents i can't imagine anyone be okay with their partner being treated and talked to the way it would come off if if Kevin was talking to her in the single cam world. It's shocking. Here's a nice little twist, though. And this is unconfirmed by the show, but I like this. So we learn by the pawn shop man, James, who was very sweet on Diane, which I thought was funny, that the card was stolen eight years ago from a Brenda Daly. No relation to you and Paul, I'm assuming. None that I'm aware. Uh, you should ask Paul if he has any Brendas that, with the, that are Red Sox fans. I'll get on it. Okay. Go way back to episode one of season one. Kevin, or Kelvin, is complaining to Allison about how someone at work always gets the fiber optic jobs. And even though it's the same work, it's more prestigious to him. And so he's offended. The person who always gets the fiber optic jobs, her name is Brenda. Oh, that is so sad. So he stole this from a coworker, huh? He stole this from a coworker. Dick. <laughs> 
and and presumably because it was a petty like reaction yeah, to just to be mean just because she gets the job that he wants even though he hates his job just to be just to be a dick about it and because he thought that he should have possession of it instead of her and it was a gift to brenda right on the back of it says to yeah. brenda someone gave that to to brenda and kevin was like no it's mine now crazy <laughs> crazy it was it was it was it was like does this man know no limits in how shitty a human being he is i think additionally if you steal something like that and then you hang it by your front door it's like every you want every single person to know that you took it you know in your yeah. in your inside you know you took it allison doesn't know that it's stolen but inside you know i mean for god's sake his boss comes to their house and would have you know potentially seen that on the wall and i have uh, it's hard to believe that brenda wouldn't be like saying stuff at work about how something got stolen from her he doesn't care that's how freaking bold he is that's how like you know just untouchable he thinks he is that he doesn't just steal it he hangs it by the front door let's talk about james at the pawn shop i mentioned how sweet he is on her and which is you know cute or whatever it like the way his attitude changes when he sees it's her in the pawn shop but also how often is diane here hawking stuff of chucks that he knows her so well like i mean she has she clearly makes it seem like they have the kind of working business relationship where he can't screw allison over because Diane seems to be such a loyal customer to using his pawn shop. What is Diane doing with Chuck's belongings uh, to make herself some extra scratch on the side? Well, if you think of her as the future Allison, it's like, you know, we're kind of seeing the little the little stair steps of her starting to realize, you know, what can I get out of being Mrs. McRoberts? And, you know, I feel like this is one of those things where you can see, like, in the future, look, she just starts taking his stuff and, you know, making it her own and, and pawning it for her own adventure. How sad that uh, James knows all about Chuck and Tanya. Such a small town little detail that I thought just resonated. This would have been scandalous, man. Yeah. Scandalous. Tanya Iacona with the, with the curly hair. Mm. <laughs> uh, a nice little detail in here. Allison offhandedly tells Diane or mentions Diane, but you could always leave, which Allison knows. I mean, based on her own circumstances, which is probably not true. But again, Allison says things to Diane all the time, advice-wise, without really thinking through what she's saying. But she says offhandedly, you can leave. Diane doesn't react to that verbally, but her whole body language, it tells you. I thought there was a nice little bit of acting uh, from Ms. Dembo, who plays uh, Diane. I think Diane has a lot of micro expression stuff going on on her face that, you know, like when I said she's often has this like distant look in her eyes, like she's thinking about 20 other things like she has the weight on her shoulders. You know, I just feel like she's she's got so much like swirling around in her head that things like Allison, I don't know. She just seems like, you know, just like white noise, just like whatever, you know, keep saying whatever. But every once in a while, something pierces through and you can see that small like look in her face where you're like, oof, that one that one hit. <laughs> it's very funny that you just compared allison speaking to white noise because it's in this episode where kevin when he comes in with the boiling teapot says that the, the whistle of the teapot reminds him of when allison is trying to explain things to him yikes yeah she's kind of like neil right no one listens to her but also she does shitty things herself though too for sure. She's under pressure in the, you know, in, in her ways, you know, there's things going on with her that are just sometimes they, yeah, she literally boils over and it comes out in a very, you know, difficult to hear kind of way that I get it. I do understand that, but it's just, I don't know. It's hard because when you see it, even in between her and Diane, it's like, oh man, like how many people are just like tuning? They're just like tuning her out, you know? Yeah. What a difficult 
way to live your life where all these people are tuning you out all the time. You're just mm. invisible in your own world. Just Ouch. literally invisible in so many ways. Before we leave this whole section of the episode, Neil shows up at the storage unit while Allison is there. And how funny that the can opener, Diane finds the can opener in, in the storage unit. Why is the can opener in the storage, storage unit? The storage unit is being used in a very odd way. Very, it's my, being I, just I, used as like an extra closet. It has to be super close to their house for them to be leaving stuff like their can opener in there. Yeah, the can strange. opener, which was the source of the fight between Chuck and Diane earlier in the episode. But when then the does that office. also make you wonder if, like, did Chuck put that in there and then is, like, screaming at Diane about it on purpose, not on purpose? I don't know. Well, she did, she's surprised that the can opener's there, so I didn't get the impression that she had put it in there. No, no, I don't think she put shit in there. I don't think she does. This is not her Well, the question is, uh, is the question, is Chuck gaslighting her? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, probably, because he's yeah. Kevin. Because he's single cam Kevin. And he's 10 years or more past this version of Kevin, so right. so much worse. So Even more is refined. Is he doing that? I mean, think about how much they fight about it. Plus, I love that she said Fab, she said Faberge egg, the way she said right. that. So funny. I was like laughing. I agree with her. I agree with Allison that hawk is a very funny word. It is. I, I love when they had that, like, she says it like hawk. There are words where you say them and they lose all meaning. Uh, like, am I saying that word correctly? I thought hawk right. was a very funny word. She uses the can opener to serve as a distraction so Allison can escape the storage unit. Neil turns around to go pick up the can opener. Allison stops in this very high pressure moment where she feels like she can't be caught by Neil and takes the Red Sox hat that Neil has said he has come to get and stuffs it on her head and then runs away. You know, I think some audience members are going to think she just put a hat on her head to be like a disguise, you know, like she just like threw a hat on. So it's like, like you can't see her face clearly. But I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's got to be that Red Sox cap that he came for. It's it's just being petty. That's what it is. It's just the petty squabbles of it's petty defiances. That's what it is. It's the petty defiances that it's like when she kicks in the Belichick hoodie in the frame and takes and wears the hoodie and gets jelly from the donut on it and, you know, and powder from the donut on it. It's just petty defiances to make it feel like you're doing something like I feel like she had progressed beyond this in season one. And here we have her kind of like reverting back to it again, which is sad. One of the things that I appreciated about this whole section was it seemed like all the things that happened in season one, but it's all happening much faster and closer together. So like if we do assume that the that the, the storage unit in general was already like a oh my God moment, but then things like Diane seeing the can opener and we have to have that moment of like, oh my God, does Chuck like gaslight her and like hide stuff here and then yell at her about stuff? Or maybe even forgets he put it there. I don't even know. Then Neil like showing up like those types of stakes where she has to like run away from him, her grabbing the hat. All of that happened in like a minute. And it's like those, those types of things, like that Belichick hoodie was an entire episode. And then now it's like grabbing the hat and running away, that type of petty. It's just, it's just one second. Like it's all starting to happen faster and faster and faster. You know, more back to back. They're happening quicker and just like more um, intense, I think, you know? Uh, yeah, it's because I think the more we live in this world, the more we see that things like the Belichick hoodie, these are not extreme examples these are the rule. They're not exceptions. These are how these people live their lives. And I think that's why it feels like it's coming faster and faster is because we're we're so much more enmeshed in their everyday world. And we see that it's that this is the kind of shit that just happens constantly. I also think that it's the show itself speeding up the pace. Oh, yes, for sure. And so that feels like, you know, they eased us in was like, what? look at this one infraction and we're going to make an entire episode around it versus now. Look, there was like five infractions in one 
one moment and one scene, you know, that happened like back to back. If you know what each of them mean and what each of them represent, look how much more it's happening. It's just I can feel the pace of the show picking up. Let's move over to Allison and Patty because it uh, it overlaps, especially with the P.I. We already talked about the end of the episode with Billy the P.I. and Chuck. Um, I thought it was very sad at the end of the episode that we see that she is using the pearl necklace to pay for Billy the P.I.'s services because it almost feels like Kevin kind of wins. Right. He's so nasty to her about the pearl necklace. Even when he sees it in the sitcom, in the multicam section, he says, that's why you're acting all high and mighty because you got that pearl necklace necklace on the fact that he put it in the storage unit kind of like hid it away from her the fact that she wears it just to feel i mean it doesn't go with her outfit she does kind of look silly wearing you know a very fancy pearl necklace but she feels like it like armors her a little bit and you know then to be called wilma flintstone even by diane like a poor man's wilma flintstone the whole thing was just very very sad and then she ends up having to get rid of it anyway also the fact that he knows that she has it and knows it was in the storage unit and like that isn't called out like there's so much to that stuff that's messy well it's from her grandmother too imagine imagine no but hold on pause on that he sees she's wearing something from a storage unit that's supposed to be secret from her and there's zero commentary on that because that's because it's all so fast paced at this point that it doesn't even matter. We're not even going to get into it. We're not going to have an argument about something of substance about the fact that like you went into my secret storage unit that I have with Chuck. How did you even find that out? Nothing of substance. We just keep going with the like nasty comments, you know, like that's how petty and nasty and weird it is, is that like they, they never even get into anything of like, how the hell did you even get those pearls? You know? Yeah, that doesn't even that. It's not even like worth a discussion kind he doesn't of thing. Even care, you know. It's also just like there's 20 other things he's already done. Right, right, right. Where do you draw the line to make your stand? Right to to have your arguments. For me, it's also the heirloom aspect, though. For that, that was huge. Imagine it was the last vestige of who she used to be. Presumably, it was a final parting, like gift from her grandmother. Imagine, imagine, and then imagine that you have to be forced to to give it away to use it for payment for services. But to get out of your current life, so it's like, see, to me, I think it's like it's like who she was and who she could have been, and she had to sell that in order to get out of this shitty situation that that she wished she had never gotten into in the first place. But it's all like, I, you know, it's it's one of those things I, I say often about my own self. I'm like, thank you, twenty five-year-old self for having like prepared that because I'm actually yielding the the benefits of that now because I did something when I was 25. Thank you for, for being a good enough granddaughter or whatever that you got these pearls. You had this whole other life. You saved them. And now because of that, you're like paying for a new life, hopefully for you to be able to get out of here. And I do think it's a really huge moment of giving up on Sitting in the like what I could have been, what I should have been, you know, my potential from before and giving that up, letting it go a little bit and saying, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to use this money to move forward now. That's a big step for her. Uh, That's a great point. That's actually a great point. And actually definitely smooths over that kind of loss, like the the ability that it can open a door to her new world. I actually like that a lot. I'm going to I'm going to fully embrace uh, that interpretation of it. Patty says in this episode a couple of times, I meant it when I said I was out. Uh, she says, this is the last time I'm going to help you, and then you're on your own. Patty, no one believes you. I don't even think you believe you when you say that to Allison, right? Am I right? I think she desperately wants to be out, but I think that this is, like, just part of the futility, you know, of the situation that, like, everybody's in. 
you know, like you're in, you don't, you don't get to, you don't get to say I'm out unless, you know, you're going to actually kill yourself or do something like there is no out. This, this is life and this is where you are. And like, you, you aren't going to be able to move away from it. And, and Patty always, I mean, she has a much bigger heart and much bigger attachment, obviously to Allison than she's ever going to really admit. So we have that element as well. But I just think so, so long as you stay in Worcester, so long as you stay here and everything, you're always going to be in. Like you said, it's a small town. Like everybody's in. The pawn shop guy's in. <laughs> but she takes her pound of flesh. Let's play the you suck audio clip. This guy couldn't have met you in a well-lit coffee shop or an office or something. Oh, he picked the spot. I didn't want to put him out. Well, are you that surprised I'm bad at negotiating? No. Once I saw you pay Kevin $20 so he wouldn't wear sweats to a wake. Yeah, my cousins. And he wore cargo shorts. Well, I will let you do the negotiating from now on for us. Allison? No. I am not here for us. Okay? I am helping you with this one last... thing. Just say it. Fake my own death. Because when you go, you're taking all this shit with you. And everything you dragged me into. I know. Tammy is still asking questions about Nick. We broke my brother. Ever since I actually made the decision to start talking to you, I don't think that I've had one day that's felt normal or easy. You're pretty much a pain in my ass, and most days you suck. I know that, too. I felt like this was Patty's way of of justifying to herself why she's going to stay in because she she cathartically gets her feelings about what a pain in the ass Allison has been in her life from the day she decided to talk to her ending with most days you suck now i feel i i'm curious if if Allison just agreeing and saying like i know that too takes the wind out of patty's sails with how good it maybe felt in the moment to say that you know what I mean? It, like when when you work up the courage to tell someone off, it takes it. It's deflated a little bit if their response is, you know, you're right. Yeah, it absolutely deflates the situation. But also, what what's the response to most days you suck? What's the right answer to that? Most days you suck. Right, exactly. There's really nothing to say if someone's going to be that nasty to you. I mean, have the time if someone's going to say something like that to you, just stare at them. Don't say anything. Let them get uncomfortable. That's always a, that's always a, a response you can have. There wasn't actually that much with Allison and Patty, other than kind of setting the table of. I, I mean, Allison, of course, this is Allison's mo. We we talked about it. She did it a bunch in just this episode. She's like, I don't want to be a me anymore, and I'm sorry, but I need your help. It's the preamble, and then I need the favor. I mean, she's done it a lot over the course of the series. I feel like it was like a big, bright spotlight on this this pattern she has in this episode. I thought it was very interesting that they kind of highlighted it everywhere. Well, it just feels, like I said, it feels sped up. So it feels like you're seeing the same, can I, can I get a favor from you or I need something from you back to back? Because it just feels like we sped up the record. So now you're like seeing it over and over and over again. It doesn't happen once in an episode. It happens 10 times in an episode. Yeah, it's very accelerated. One one note that it ties Allison and Tammy to Patty. There is a Patty 
there's a Tammy section where they're having the Chinese food, Tammy and Patty. And she says, not that one. It has cashews. I know you hate cashews. And Patty's unnerved. She's undone by this because she is like, how do you know that, though? And Tammy says, I pay attention. In the episode after the you suck comment, she says, what's in the what's in your your cup? And she says, vodka. And she's like, you don't like vodka. And and Patty says, how do you know? And she's like, you mentioned it one time. I like this this book ending juxtaposition that these two women in Patty's life that she cares very much about uh, to varying degrees, but she cares about both of them both pay attention to her and i don't think she has any fucking clue what to do with people paying attention to her she's very unnerved by it, especially the tammy like she literally has to leave when tammy says that like she she's a, like gonna have like a panic attack about it but she seems very unnerved by this concept that people are paying that these women care enough about me to know that i don't like cashews or vodka i thought that was a very sweet but also again kind of sad that this very adult woman has not ever had this experience before she really does not know what to do with that level of paying attention and just like actually caring about her. Yes. Imagine being on the receiving that end, though, receiving end of that, though, if you've never had that experience, but you're in your mid 30s. That is kind of heartbreaking. Patty and Neil's parents really fuck them up. The the two of them are so stunted in so many ways when it comes to emotions and feelings and love and reciprocation and friendship and healthy relationships. This was just kind of another reminder of, man, how many disservices were done to Patty that this is how she feels she has to react to it because she doesn't know she doesn't know how to process it. She doesn't have the mechanisms to process people caring about her. She likes to think that she can be like a lone wolf, you know, and that she doesn't need to rely on anyone and and no one needs, you know, her a part of their lives or whatever. And I, I think that even just like in her shop, like that's like she doesn't really have any she doesn't have any coworkers. She doesn't have anything. You know, like she really chose to kind of set up her entire life by herself. So to have these people who catch on to these small details about things that you like or dislike. Yeah. I think especially when you don't, when you're not like purposely allowing those people to do that, you know, you're not like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to share some information about myself, but they just picked it up on you. It's like, Ooh, now, but let's flip over to the other side of it though, where Patty then is put in the position of dealing with Neil. And then she has to become the caregiver for a second. What are you doing? I need a hat. You're wearing a hat. I know I'm wearing a hat, but I need a different one. I promised Kevin I'd find his vintage Red Sox hat, but I went to the storage unit and dug through everything, and it still wasn't there. Shit! Shut up. Tammy is right downstairs. Neil. Neil. Please. Please don't say I do anything stupid, okay? You start this thing with Allison, it's just gonna cause you more trouble. And you're already... You need help or something. I'm around. Get out. 
Neil is having a legit anxiety attack because of the hat that he can't find because Allison took it. His body is heaving. He's almost crying and sobbing. Like, as panic attack, as anxiety panic attack as you can imagine, he is about to have. It takes Patty a real beat to switch gears into loving sister mode. And by the time she does, Neil's already, like, iced over. And he responds with, get out. When she says, I'll help you. And it takes her like a, like a fraction of a beat to get there. And I feel like up until the point where she hit him with a beer bottle, she would have switched into that gear much quicker. But things have changed in their relationship now. So it takes her a beat to get there. And I think that's an interesting switch because it's too late. It's too late to get to be the sister that she would have been that maybe could have tried to talk Neil down from an anxiety attack. I feel like for 30 years, Patty probably would have instantly jumped in and said, we can work on it together. I'll help you look. And now that's changed a bit, good or bad. I I, I don't know. I just think that there's too much water under the bridge. I mean, everything that happened with Allison, the fact that Patty had to take this really, really long time to actually come to his aid in the basement. You know, like it took a while to decide to take him to the hospital. In that, I think that 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 broke, you know, their bond between one another where it's like I put someone in front of you and I maybe even put my own self in front of you so now there's two people in front of you whereas before I would have 100% just taken you directly from the kitchen to the hospital you know and then so now there's just this it's, it's broken you know in that in that regard yeah it reminds me of when Patty says to Allison last week when it was just the two of us trying to kill Kevin was was defensible it was justifiable but now that the world had gotten larger it's changed and doesn't feel right anymore it's kind of like this like one on one she knows how to do it but now people have come in between and interceded and it's and it's changed but it was such a because she does make the switch right she does make the switch but it's just a second too just, late yeah it's just but that's the thing I think I mean same like you could say like like they said in the hospital we brought you to the hospital you know it was like that like that it was like too little too late you know yeah brought me to the hospital but how long did you wait you know timing matters and, and really interesting allison tries to take co-credit for bringing him to the hospital in the beginning of the episode I we didn't know. even talk about that i thought that was super fucking ballsy of her because because <laughs> neil obviously knows that she and he calls her he's like no he, patty took me to the hospital you did it i was like allison what are you even, why are you picking that battle like of all the shit you have to get going on like and and get out of the way here you're gonna pick the battle and try and take claim for that i swear they were just trying to um hedge their bets that something some details he would forget you know like like he did have a head injury you know maybe maybe more than more than one detail might slip away and they might just be able to just convince him that that's not exactly what happened tammy shows up at patty's apartment because her power is out and she needs a place to stay now i'm sympathetic to the power being out i'm sympathetic to you don't know how long it's going to be you need a place to crash but she also knows patty how does she think showing up at her door with a bag in hand is going to play well and Patty is going to act like the emotionally mature adult that we know Patty is not? See, this is my this is the rub with Tammy. It is. And I know you're going to have feelings on this. That's why I'm setting you well, up for it. <laughs> She, on one hand, she can come off very caring, you know, things about the cashews and, you know, things like I paid attention to this and that. But other times she is so pushy and so forceful and so like she has an agenda and she is going to make Hattie go along 
And if she doesn't, she can guilt her right away. So it's like, what, what, you don't want me here? And it's like, wait, no, you just barged in. Like, it wouldn't matter what I was doing. I could be sitting here, you know, taking a nap. I could be watching TV. And if I'm not expecting someone, I still have to have a moment of like, I wasn't expecting you, you know, to like kind of get over. And Tammy just, she uses those things to manipulate, you know, Patty and be like, oh, what? You don't you don't want me to be here. You're uncomfortable with me here. Anyone's uncomfortable with someone who's who comes to the door unexpectedly. I think the first thing you say if someone else is in the house is, are you expecting someone at the door? Because everyone has that. I don't I wasn't. I don't know what's happening. And everyone kind of has that like looking around moment where it's like, uh, Tammy does this type of stuff to push Patty into these scenarios where it's like, did you not want me to come over? And it forces Patty to say, no, no, of course I want you to come over. Of course I want you here because Patty's never going to say that. She's not going to say, Tammy, oh, hey, I was so hoping you would stop by. I really want you here. So the trick is to get Patty on her heels and then she'll gush back. Of course I wanted you here. I'm happy for you to be here. I'm comfortable with you here. She was never going to say those words. It's like it's Tammy just like tricks her into saying them. It makes you almost recast the cashews moment, right? Because moments like this, and you said it great, uh, putting her back on her heels, it almost feels like a test, but it almost feels like a cop interrogating someone where she's trying to like throw a lot of different scenarios at her so that she'll reveal her true colors kind of thing. It, it all, it all has a very kind of copy way to it. And so it's easy if you wanted to, to recast when she says, you don't like cashews i pay attention well that's what a detective says right mm-hmm. i pay attention to the details so it's not maybe out of loving patty that she knows that she doesn't like cashews it's because tammy is, treats patty like she is a work subject and right. observes her that way like, like a suspect at all times and so i show up at your house and it's like a test of how are you going to react now which of course I mean, Patty reacts by cleaning up incriminating evidence in front of her when she's going around throwing stuff out that could get her in trouble, including the cash book with the Mm -hmm. hollowed out book. Like, Patty, what are you doing? You're walking around with this garbage bag. You look like a crazy person throwing out books. Also, (laughs) when someone shows up unexpectedly, I mean, I definitely do this. I with a garbage bag in hand. Not maybe not so much of the garbage, but but I absentmindedly clean up. I do. Like, as we're walking through a room, I start, like, straightening the pillows or I start, like, you know, picking up, like, you know, dishes or something like that. So, I mean, this was an extreme version of that, but I don't think it's, like, that far out there that you would start to kind of, like... Because you feel sensitive about your space being invaded. So, you're, like, quick to kind of want to... Be like, ooh, this is uncomfortable. Now, we know the bigger picture as the audience. We know there's incriminating evidence. But if you just looked at it as a relationship, she's just kind of fidgeting in her own space. Right, you know? right. She's trying to right, she's trying to armor herself and make herself feel comfortable. You know, when, when Tammy said, um, you've been reading that book for a long time. Yeah. I was yeah. like, oh. Yeah, it's a real hollowed out middle of the book. It's real hard to get through the middle of this one. It's because yeah. it's not there. But I but let I just want to I want to put this up on on the board. Let's draw the difference between because we we painted these two moments. The vodka, you mentioned it once. I know you don't like it. Cashews, I pay attention. When Allison says offhandedly, it's vodka, you don't like it, you mentioned it once. That is friendship coming through as as shitty as Allison can be to Patty. That is love and friendship coming through. When Tammy says, you don't like cashews, I pay attention. That could be love. That could be love. But given these other things that Tammy does in the moment and the way she says it, 
it could also just be that she treats her like a sus- suspect all the time. Yeah. And I, and I think that's one of those things that I don't know if you get away from that with Tammy. Like, I think that that's the way she approaches life. I don't know if Patty can parse the difference between the two. She seems unnerved by both of them, more unnerved by Tammy's comment. Why is she more unnerved by Tammy's comment than well, she is by Allison's she's comment? She's done crimes and, and, and Tammy is a cop. So there is something there. Like, they're not allies. I have a question. How far do you think Tammy and Patty's relationship has gone because i cannot tell it matters to me because i need to try to gauge how much she should know about one another really you know how much should tammy really know about patty and how much is it like like what we said like just like you're collecting evidence because you're a cop if they have like spent nights over each other's houses and okay well then it would be reasonable she would know this but they still have such a vibe of casual dating that I struggle with. Like, where are we? It feels like it has been kissing and maybe over the clothes things and nothing more. That's the vibe I get. I don't get full on, like, sweaty, naked sex. <laughs> sweaty, naked sex. But just like they've never spent the night together. Is that the vibe you got? Well, maybe they've, I, I, they might have slept over, but not like had but, sex. Like, braided kind of each other's hair. Like, snuggles. Right. Why it matters to me, and because people are like, why, Caroline, why do you care how far they've gone? Because it would it would impact how much of the details of someone's day-to-day life you would know. You know, if you've, if you've slept over and, and had these, like, super intimate moments, then then you would absolutely know more of those tiny details. So I, I'm trying to gauge Patty's response to it. Right? I, I 100% agree that that's, it's actually a necessary question. But at the same time, Tammy being who Tammy is, she's also definitely gone through all of her medicine cabinets. I know. She's, she has I pulled know. open every single drawer in the kitchen. She knows everything that's there. She could tell her where bills are, paid and mm-hmm. unpaid and overdue. She knows where it all is. She's definitely done that kind of reconnaissance because I don't think Tammy respects boundaries like that. The fact that she never opened up that book that pa- that Patty had been reading for so long shocks me because yeah. she feels like someone who kind of will invade privacy for sake of getting to know you. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, you, you said it great. You know, P- Patty's going to be more sensitive to Tammy knowing things because they've done crimes together, which is a perfect segue to. So work's been a lot. That guy who broke into Allison's. He had some weird pill bottle on him when he did. The only one not from Fiori's. That's weird. It's just one of those things that you'll never understand and you have to let go. Every case has them. But this guy, I don't know. It was weird. Yes, it feels like an itch. This doesn't go anywhere in this episode, but we got to put it up on the board because we know Nick is still alive. Tammy telling Patty that Nick was found with a weird pill bottle on him that wasn't from Fiori's. It's, and the fact that Tammy is, it feels like an itch that she's got to scratch. This is a problem. This is a problem because we know they got that pill bottle from when they went to Vermont and they beat up the trucker when Patty specifically beat up the trucker because she thought Allison was being attacked. That's where that pill bottle comes from that Nick had on him. You've got, we've got to remember that. And the fact that it has resurfaced now and we know that Tammy's going to be looking into that suspicious pill bottle. That is a row we've got to put up on the board. 
Well, she said a funny line, though. She's like, she said like a little bit of an out for Patty and Allison because she said sometimes, you know, there's details like that, that in, in every case that you just have to let go of that you can't make sense of and you just have to like blow it off. Basically, that was like, oh, that's a little bit of of hope, actually, that maybe she could or would, you know, let that go. Right. But then she immediately says, but it feels like an itch. Yeah, I know. But I, I never thought about the concept of like, there's something in every case that you just can't really like figure out exactly. I don't know that. I don't know that me as a detective, I don't think I'm saying stuff like that. I'm thinking like, I'm gonna figure it all out. It would, it would nag me forever. Let's take it to the bar where we learn randomly Bram has died since the end of season one on the toilet. Weird. So weird. It surprised me so much. I was like, Bram died? What a weird thing, especially since Bram came up last week and Patty was using Bram as Tammy's version of Allison. Yeah, but that's pretty good then when you think about that, right? Yeah, totally random. Totally random that Bram... I'm curious if they couldn't get the actor to come back. No, no, not random. Not random. We've already had. I'm going to fake my own death. And now... And she's equated to Bram and now Bram's dead. Yes, I mean, the act of him dying on the toilet is random to me. Thematically, it makes sense. And that we hadn't heard about it. This is the first time we've heard about it. I wonder if really Tammy has said something about it, but because we kind of act as like Patty and and Allison and like as the audience that maybe it did come up in those conversations, but I swear to God, like she just didn't hear it. That would be really shitty on her part, though, because she's acting in the bar like this is brand new information. She's like, this is Mm -hmm. why you've been so sensitive. You said you had a work thing. She's like, yeah, my partner died. Like... But she didn't follow up. She said, I have a work thing. And she didn't say, what's your work thing? Like most relationships, you'd say, oh, what's your work thing? She doesn't follow up. So then, you know, Tammy kind of plays this game of like, okay, I'm not going to give you any more information then, you know, and it turns out our partner died. What do you think of Patty in this situation, though? Because Patty takes sincerity is so hard to gauge sometimes in this show. And I think Patty is more sincere than maybe any other character in the show. But Mm. when she tells her like, yeah, listen, I've got baggage, but I'm working on it. She's very kissy with Tammy in the scene. Mm-hmm. She's very complimentary to her. She says, you look good before she leaves. These are not things Patty ever does. But here she's doing it. Sincere? Is she trying to, is this, is she trying to get back in the good graces? Is this cover up because now she's been unnerved by the pill bottle thing and that's playing on her mind? I'm going to go with all those layers. And additionally, she just found out the partner died. So I think that that is natural. Like, I mean, if you were kind of being a little cold shouldery with someone or a little bit, a little bit hard-edged for whatever reason and then they expose that something pretty catastrophic has happened to them recently you might soften you know you might just be like oh shit you know i'm i'm being a jerk here i have my own crap and i shouldn't be doing that to you and you do try to kind of like you know smooth it over so kissy though i mean to the point (laughs) to the point where tammy has to be like i can't we can't be making out with you at a funeral i think she's just trying to sell it that she is you know she's in this relationship and for the life of me i can't 100 percent figure out if she is a lot of this she was like thrown in with tammy that if it never exactly felt like she like she wouldn't have pursued tammy i don't believe in any way had tammy not been so assertive with her like she was like hey like we're doing this we're gonna start dating we're gonna like i don't know how into tammy patty is versus this is what she does like she goes along I think she desperately wants to be into Tammy more than she actually is because she can't be with Allison the way she wants to be. Or maybe even 
if there wasn't all this other stuff, she could have been into Tammy. Maybe that's a possibility, but there's so many things in her way, her baggage, if you will. All the things that have happened, all the lies, all the ways that they've had to, you know, create distance between Tammy and Patty because she has to lie to her about all these things. It, maybe it would have been a great relationship and it could have really worked out, but like, can it ever? No, because Patty's not in it. She's not authentically in it. I, I want to put Tammy and Patty on the board for let's keep a watch on, not because I'm particularly into the the relationship i i think i'm more into patty growing and expanding as an adult who can handle and process these emotions that's the kind of thing that i'm actually interested in watching to see for that growth and to see how she handles it I, i'm really not invested in this relationship at all they, they no. don't particularly sell me i do want to see where patty can go as a partner in a relationship that actually greatly interests me Agreed. She needs to have all this growth, you know, so that she can hopefully be able to be in a healthy relationship in the future. I want her to pursue that side of her. She's going through the relationship states right now that a lot of people experience when they're like in late high school or early college. Let's finish off the episode quickly. Let's talk about Allison and Sam. <sighs> I don't know who's more petty in this relationship. We talked already about how Allison comes in and says, I want to heal our relationship. I need a favor. But Sam jumps all over her and yeah. doesn't let her speak and also tells her that she's been fired, which is brand new information to, to Allison. Who's right in this situation? Are either of them right? Well, how long has it been since she worked that she doesn't even know she's fired? Couple days. Like right away, I was like, wait, what? Like, how, how do you not know? I honestly forgot the depth of Sam and Allison's relationship from season one when they started talking to each other. It took the whole back and forth for me to be like, they were sleeping together in season one. Just a few days ago. How did I forget that they were like that close, you know, because right. this version of them is, you know, totally not that anymore. And it, it I was I was like running the gamut of emotions with these two. Yeah, and also, I don't think it's been a ton of time since the two of them last had sex in the back room. Mm -mm. You know, it, it, I mean, in, in timeline-wise, I don't think it's probably been more than a couple of weeks since that all happened. So then if you go from that to firing her, like, again, I had to remind myself of how close they were and then go to firing her and being like, just like, get out of my face kind of situation. I understand. I understand. There'd be like a lot of nastiness, like post whatever. Like, right. I can't even say. But he says he fired her because whatever. she said, I don't need your help anymore. That doesn't necessarily equate to firing someone, though. Like, messy. Right. There have to be like differences. Like, I, we're not going to fuck anymore, or I, you're not going to help me kill my husband anymore is different than uh, you You don't need my help, so I'm going to fire you from your job. This was messy. I, I really, I was, my brain like had to click a bunch of like information through. I'm making a hand like a cog and like next to my face right now. I had to be like, click, 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 click. They were sleeping together. Click, click, click. Wait, they were like high school students. Click, 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 click. Like, I had to go through all of these things to be like, like, this is where we landed with Sam, huh? Where we're just going to be, like, shitty to each other now. The thing that made me vomit a little bit in my mouth is when Allison says to him, I just want to be Allie again. Girl, what are you doing? When have you ever referred to yourself as Allie in the course of this show? Listen, Sam already thinks of you as Allie, and he was only fucking you because he thought you were still Allie, the 17-year-old that he had feelings for. We discussed this all through season one. Allison has not listened to our podcast because we talked all <laughs> through season one about how he didn't realize who Allison was today. He only had this image of who she was when he would call her Allie, when she maybe was Allie. 
she, Allison McRoberts or it is not Allie. And the fact that she invokes that here as a way to like, I, the only thing I could think of for her to invoke that nickname and say that line is to kind of start greasing the wheels again. So she can get back in to get whatever she wants to get out of him. Yeah. I mean, it was like his little nickname, you know, for her. And also yes. I know what she was in high school. So it'd be the same. She was like, I just want to be your little honey again or whatever. Right. You well, know? it's like the Trish and Lisa Fazolari, right? It's when, when Neil says Trish, don't call me that. I, I think anyone else calls Allison Allie. She's probably going to grimace would be my guess. So the fact that she's using that here offensively, you know, but, but, you know, on the same token, doesn't Allison have, given what Allison's been through, what Allison lives with every day, should we be so harsh on her for using everything at her disposal to get whatever she can from this world? No. I mean, and this is what we talked about in the last episode where she is doing like a cataloging of what are the cards I hold? What can I do? Who's still on my side? And like, where does my power lie? What role do I play? Who do I need to apologize to? And what do I need to do in order to like pull at their heartstrings? That's it. And he's just one more on that list. Man, the the webs are just getting fast and furious and thick and entangled. I don't know where we go for the next like six episodes. It already feels like it's like going so fast. With That's the-, the thing. I mean, I can feel the speed, the pacing of everything just going faster and faster. I am glad that we understand as the audience that this is the last season and that we are having to wrap things up because otherwise, I think as we were watching this, I would be feeling like, wow, this roller coaster really got a lot faster. I wonder what they're doing here. Like, what's going on but i get it like we have we have just a handful of episodes to bring all of this to a close and so i want them to like put on the speed we need to collect as much storyline as humanly possible in order to really get a full vision of what this world was supposed to be i know valerie armstrong wanted more seasons than this so i know she's got a lot more story to tell and i'm hoping in these in the back half of this whole thing she's gonna be able to shove more and more and more backstory more information more the things that we would have gotten to learn over more seasons I'm really crossing my fingers on that. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to Kevin Can Podcast Himself, your dedicated after show podcast where Kevin can fuck himself. If you wouldn't mind heading over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe, that would be wonderful. And while you're there, if you could leave us a five-star review, we would really appreciate it. Because honestly, guys, listen, butts are for excuses and strippers. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.